the Sharma drama, tough on gangs, and tax talk. One news inside Parliament. Kia ora and welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's our weekly catch-up where we discuss all of the political stories we've been covering for One News this week. I'm Mikey Sherman. I'm Jessica Much Mackay. And I'm Benedict Collins. And we're going to kick off with some peaks of the week, the highs of the week, guys. Who'd like to start and take it away? All right, I'll start off with a um, humorous little moment from a press conference up in Canada. The Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford, was giving this press conference when he swallowed a bee. Holy Christ, he's, he's wedged in my throat. Sorry, guys. Little bugger got away in there. Yeah, anyway, I quite enjoyed that. He spent the rest of the press conference with the bee buzzing around in his throat and tummy and uh, yeah, tried to drown it by drinking lots of water. But yeah, interesting times. Oh my gosh, can you imagine it? Like the absolute horror of having a bee flying around in your mouth. Do you know what happens in our studio in Auckland, and this had happened one time in Q&A, there was some frantic things going on and a, and a fly had come into the into the studio and that's like the worst thing that could ever happen in a studio setting because it could um, you know, fly in front of lights or in front of the presenter and there's not <laughs> much that you can do. So it is funny seeing those like panic situations when there are bugs and things around. So it's a little insider that the um, studio crews go crazy if a fly is buzzing around. Speaking about stars of the small screen, that is my peak of the week. Do you guys like that uh, little transition? Smooth smooth operator. Uh, Lisa Kudrow was in New Zealand, aka Phoebe from Friends. And at the Prime Minister's post-Cabinet press conference on Monday, she was asked whether she caught up with Phoebe, had dinner with Phoebe, to which the Prime Minister laughed and said no. So yeah. a bit of a missed opportunity there, perhaps. Yeah, I feel like um, Phoebe's probably got a pretty full dance card. You know, she's probably got a few other people to catch up with. Taika Waititi also brought his uh, apparently new wife, Rita yeah. Ora, uh, into the country. They've been uh, seen spotted around Wellington here this week. So, And just in, in case you tuned in just now and thought you were listening to the wrong Women's podcast, podcast. <laughs> um, my peak this week was um, the the two doorstop interviews that we did and often you go out in this job and you try and and find someone and you don't um two instances where that paid off this week were with Gaurav Sharma um on Saturday at his market um we were able to go there and and talk to him and find him um and the other one was with Kieran McAnulty um and who was out and about campaigning and or or being a minister in in Taupo. So uh, I sometimes those gambles don't pay off and in these two instances they did and they really added um, to the to the dynamism of the story. Mm. Dynamism? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what Yeah. Well you know what I mean. The yeah. dynamic we'll nature of the story. Yeah. And any pits this week, guys? Um, oh yeah, one of the pits this week was um, so we're in recess and the politicians all, all go back to their electorates and this is this is big serious stuff here and there is a cafe here at Parliament that's open. Um, they close it early when the politicians aren't here, so um, it's as if no one works in the bullet in the building except for the politicians. So um, it comes as a shock when. Poor, on rainy days where poor journalists have to leave the building to be able to get a cup of coffee or a um, Santee bar uh, after about two o'clock in the afternoon. So um, don't say we don't give you the inside word. 
And another international um, yarn for me here, Scott Morrison finding himself back in hot water over in Australia, having um, secretly appointed himself to multiple um, ministerial roles uh, during the pandemic. Even some of his um, former cabinet colleagues, uh, when he was um, prime minister, had no idea that he'd appointed himself um, to all these roles. So that's been blowing up over in Australia. I've uh, quite enjoyed keeping an eye on that as well. I feel like that's something like Donald Trump would have done. Um, <laughs> imagine yeah. it. Well, I mean, would you do the same thing, though? Would you do the same? I, I just, just a, need to let you guys know that little over role? the pandemic, I also appointed myself the deputy political editor and the senior political reporter. So that I officially did that under my powers as well. It's just nice. shady, not telling people. That's what. Yeah, I, and, and, and at one point this week, he was denying that he had appointed himself. Um, to one of those portfolios, and like two minutes later, there was proof, and he was having to sort of back backtrack. And um, oh, oh, yeah, that's right. I think I'd forgotten about that one. Yeah, yeah stunning stuff um, from uh, Australia's former prime minister. And to end off this edition of uh, the Women's Weekly Catch Up, um, Ian Foster retains his job, so non-political, but very much sort of uh, in the realms of uh, some of the big action pack. Packed uh, issues of the week. Ian Foster retaining his job, saying flipping the bird essentially to all the haters. Um, I'm not. I'm not a huge rugby fan, but I've been intrigued with that uh, that sort of um, appointment process bubbling away. And and so yeah, good to see that uh, there is sort of life after all, after a few losses, and um, you get one big win and bang. S- speaking I, of life after a few losses, the Warriors even had a win at the weekend um, too. Okay. Well, I, I actually had quite Whoa. dynamic things to say about Mikey's thing afterwards. I reckon the best part of that. Oh, we're not talking about the Warriors. I just can't. We can do Phoebe from friends but just not the Warriors but the best part of of watching the rugby coverage was seeing the outrage at the sports reporters for going along to an announcement of an announcement boo hoo hoo as political reporters that you would have to go through that one little thing and I I had a very interesting experience when I was Europe correspondent I covered um, a couple of all black tours and it is a very different environment than the press gallery and I think um, they perhaps have a have a slightly closer relationship and a more um, I guess perhaps spend more time together outside of press conferences in that realm but it's uh, yeah it was really interesting watching those big press conferences from from the other side. Anyway on to a big issue uh, of the week the Sharma drama and uh, Massive, massive stuff, interesting stuff there. It all kicked off with the opinion piece by the Hamilton West MP Labour backbencher in the New Zealand Herald on Thursday saying bullying was rampant in Parliament. Um, MPs bullying their colleagues, there was no consequences for that uh, and that people who complained, including you know him, him uh, were, were victimised and gaslighted. Um, victimised further. And so uh, that led to the Prime Minister the next day, Friday, having to say, actually, the issues stem from uh, staffing issues within the MP's own office, to which he replied with a 2,600-word statement on Facebook naming uh, his fellow MPs, Karen McAnulty <coughs> and Duncan Webb, as uh, bullies, um, uh, to, as, as whips of the party. What's you guys? What's what's the thoughts around it? What do you reckon? I mean, there seems like there's a lot of moving parts to the story, but 
he wasn't managed well. He was obviously an MP um, who felt like a year ago he raised some issues that weren't dealt with by the party. I also think when you've got a massive caucus like that, especially when you've got uh, intelligent, capable people there, keep them busy. Get them, get them to write some health policy. Get them to do some research to help um, the health minister, Andrew Little. Give them one of the projects to start digging around. And you've just got to keep them engaged. And and also, if, if there are issues with the way that he's managing staff, put them on some leadership courses. Teach, do you know what I mean? Like, I think that some of these people come in without having much knowledge of, of managing staff. And especially in those uh, quite intimate, intense environments – you, you've got to do that. And if, if the issue is with him, manage that too. You know what I mean? Like you've got to, if if he's the problem, you've got to put some boundaries and some rules around him as well. Yeah, I found it really interesting, right, that you've got this member of parliament who's been pretty low profile um, during his, his term in parliament and he just hits the self-destruct button in such a prominent way. Um, day yeah, after day. Yeah, and really starts going after his own much more senior um, colleagues. Now, I understand some of the Beehive feel that maybe it was the, our One News poll earlier in the week, um, which showed National Act well, very likely to be the next government, that kind of rattled, may have really rattled him, and been a bit of, it may well have rattled other um, Labour MPs who came in on that you know huge red wave at the last election, starting to realise perhaps you know they've got another 12 months in the job and then they're going to be looking for new careers, where that kind of unsettled him and, and led him to taking that kind of drastic action and then yeah it was almost Jamie Lee Roskish um, uh, how he started timing things you know to put out more information just before post cab and <clears throat> and do it again the next day um, when he sent Mikey he sent you a, um, you know the text message when they were having holding that caucus meeting um, to the the second of their uh, caucus meetings, the one they made public, um, uh, you know, sending another um, uh, text to you, Mikey, showing that, you know, alerting us to the fact that Labour had had a, a secret um, caucus meeting the night before and excluded him from that. Um, the Prime Minister saying, you know, that's because a lot of his colleagues didn't feel comfortable talking openly about the situation, you know, probably worrying that he's going to record it or leak it or whatever. If you're looking, though, if he's feeling rattled about the poll and perhaps not getting in at the next election, hate to break it to him probably isn't going to do that now anyway. Hitting the self-destruct destruct button is a fairly career-limiting move, one would oh, think. Oh, yeah, you're toast, right? It's going to be fascinating to see what he does for the next for the next year, whether he tries to behave himself and they let him back into caucus um, after the suspension But imagine if lifted, he keeps or... the a local electorate support and you've got this conflict where they support him and the party. Fascinating. So many interesting elements. I definitely think it would have shaken the Labour Party to the core because while we've seen this sort of internal combustion from the National Party in the last two, three years with, you know, their issues with sort of leadership coups and MP debacles and so on, Labour has been relatively disciplined apart from, you know, a few kind of slip-ups as ministers. I'm thinking David Clark. I'm thinking um, Ian Lees Galloway here. But other than that, in terms of party, you know, members disciplined, um, they've certainly had that and, and 
And so to have a, a backbench MP who no one even had really ever heard of um, before Thursday sort of come out with such an explosive claim and very direct too by naming his colleagues, you know, outright, um, you know, it's just it's just massive for the party. And so it was interesting to watch the way that Jacinda Ardern sort of dealt with it as a leader. She took that softly, softly approach on the Friday, um, sort of saying that, you know, they wanted essentially to give him another chance um, and he absolutely just blew that to smithereens within you know a couple of hours by posting that huge lengthy some might say too lengthy um, statement on his Facebook page the, the thing is is that you've got the party saying look he has um, never kind of welcomed any of the interventions when it's come to addressing the staffing issues in his office and I think for someone who holds like an office of, of you know being a representative of, of the country um, you know there's a there's a, there's another standard uh, again for for him as a manager of staff and when you've got three former staff coming out saying you know was wasn't a great environment for us we weren't happy working in that environment three former staff is massive and I just haven't seen any acknowledgement or any responsibility whatsoever in his lengthy Facebook posts in, in regards to that, it's always been about him and the way that he's been treated. He hasn't responded to any of the treatment that three individual separate people are saying they kind of were the recipients of at you know his hands, which is another power imbalance, of course. You know, so I think it's one thing to complain about your fellow colleagues. It's another thing not to be taking any responsibility about three different staff members under your authority, essentially. And what's really interesting, I think, is that there have been, it's been crickets from him for the last 24 hours so he every day except sunday so set, so on friday saturday uh monday tuesday consistently put out updates and basically hitting um double down double down double down each time and he has been silent so whatever has whatever has happened he is obviously thinking about his future what i thought was really interesting in that press conference on the uh yesterday tuesday tuesday was the prime minister's the way that she attributed it to the whole caucus. So instead of being like, I have decided that he can stay on, blah, 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 she said, we as a caucus have decided this and we are going to uh, stay on and uh, we are going to let him have a second chance. It's a forgiving bunch. And she really was sort of handing over that collective responsibility to uh, the caucus. So I just thought that was a really interesting point in that. I think another interesting thing is going to be whether he shows up next week. You know, while he's he's been vocal on social media, he's Facebook, and you know he he hasn't really been keen keen to do interviews. We managed to catch him at the markets, um, but I think yeah, having to come back to Parliament where nearly all your colleagues have turned against you, they've suspended you, they've had enough of you, um, they all think you're an upstart and way out of line. It's going to be interesting to see whether yeah he's got the the metal to show up. Um, next week at Parliament. And what a present to the National Party because so far on this podcast we haven't mentioned the name Sam Uffendell and that is because this implosion by a backbencher has superseded that one and that will just be even more galling for Labour that he's done it at a time when All national, the heat was on National, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just it's a really interesting political 
moment. I definitely think the Labour Party have cornered their MP now with kindness, basically, by offering him this pathway back and not expelling him, but actually suspending him. It kind of puts the ball in his court. It's up to him now whether he kind of wants to make amends or if he's going to leave the party. Like, it's it's all on him. So I think that's probably, you know, what he's reflecting on at the moment. No doubt he'll be having lots of conversations with his family and friends about how he's going to respond to this. But you know, what did he think was going to happen? Mm. When you when you call out your party publicly, do you think you're going to be the Robin Hood and somehow survive in what capacity? Like you cannot speak against your own party and think that you are going to be sort of welcomed back in quite naturally. I'd be shocked even if he decided, yep, okay, I'm going to sort of work um, to regain the trust of my caucus colleagues and come December... I'm aiming to rejoin the caucus. There will be members in that caucus who will not trust him ever again. Absolutely. How could you? Yeah. Right. He's shown he, you know, he's prepared to go absolutely AWOL, go totally rogue, and to accuse his colleagues of, you know, serious bullying allegations against them and attack everyone left, right, and centre. You know, he, in his mind, he's the only guy not, you know, behaving well here. Right. Definitely. There's no way you could ever trust him again. Definitely damaging too, I think, for Kieran McAnulty, who he has repeatedly called the chief bully. Uh, because when we went to the wider Upper electorate and we spoke to voters and members of the public there, you know, people were saying that Kieran needs to front, he needs to address this, you know, um, there could be some merit in it, is what one person said. So the damage has been done to, you know, a, what is a relatively new minister so, so soon in his career. And, and, and that's damaging. So that's going to be hard for Kieran to forgive as no, well. It was front page news up on his electorate, yeah. right? I yeah. would advise um, Gaurav Sharma to go on a, a long and reflective, perhaps multi-day hike, take in some fresh air and contemplate his future before coming back to Parliament next week. Limited future. And so we move on to some of our poll supplementary questions. Which one do we want to start with? We've got a few there. Should we start in the way that they played out? So do you want? Should we start first with the Greens um, and walk us through that, or shall I start first with gangs? Perhaps would that be helpful? Yes, I will do that. So. Um, we asked uh, people about whether they think that the government's doing enough on gangs and quite a um, hefty number of people, 70%, said no, they don't. And what this says to us is that people are feeling the effects of some of those really high-profile um, gang shootings, um, the high level of attention they're getting in the media and just not feeling safe. I also think it indicates that that's, it's one of the things that um, the ACT and National Party will be really focusing on, um, drilling the message home. You know, you can't send kids to the dairy um, and we've got to do something about crime when that can't happen. You don't feel safe for your kids to walk down the street. And we're going to hear that message over and over. We will be tougher on crime. And I I just think it's a it's a broader picture on that, um, and it, it was it was very interesting just um, digging into that and and focusing on that as as an issue. But I do think it's one that we're going to be seeing more of in the months to come. 
And our other, thank you for giving me some time to check back on those uh, Green Party numbers, Teamwork Jess. makes the dream work. Absolutely. So we also asked voters, should the Green Party be open to working with National and Government? Because at the moment on our poll numbers, National and ACT could form the next government. But, hey, you know, why why not sort of consider the Greens? The Greens might want to consider uh, another pathway to power uh, alongside National. Well, 54% of the public say, yes, they should consider it. 30% say no. And when we break those numbers down further, just looking purely at Green Party supporters, 38% say, yes, their party should consider working with National. I thought that number was quite high, actually. Um, I would have expected it perhaps to be a little bit lower, um, just with the kind of clear distinction and separation of policies between policy positions between the two parties and I think Marama Davidson was quite keen on stressing that you know that um, that their parties are just way too far apart in terms of some of their outlooks on some of the big key issues um, you know in terms of policy so it wouldn't be a kind of viable working relationship but still interesting I think to ask the question especially with climate change you know if we talk about it being uh, an emergency and needing critical attention you know, that, that emergency won't wait for the Green Party in opposition, you know. so and, and that's the point. Do you want to sit in opposition while Labor's not in power or do you actually want to try and get some gains? And that's the why you're here. And that's the question the Green Party supporters uh, need to be asking themselves. I think also when you look internationally, the teal or turquoise parties, they are in the middle and they can work with either party as a support partner to get the wins that they want. And I think if if the Green Party supporters lift their eyes up a bit and think strategically about why the party is there and what it wants to do, I think that my view would be that you could make some gains and get some wins if you work, if you're prepared to work with different parties. And the former Green Party MP Kevin Haig, he said, look, they used to consider that kind of question every three years as a party, and they would always kind of end up saying, no, we couldn't work with National because of those differences. But he he did say that you know part of sort of being in government is also swallowing a few dead rats and a few dead rats, and so that's part of the the, the consideration is you know is climate change the emergency that requires perhaps a f- Swallow a few dead rats on other issues, um, and support you know National's budget overall. And, and, and you've got to remember the Greens are swallowing dead rats all the time working with Labor, right? You know, look how hopeless or how slow glacial pace they've had of you know overdoing the welfare sector with all those welfare expert advisory group recommendations. You know, the the, the Greens are really unhappy with a lot of the you know punishments that the Labor Party's still putting on beneficiaries stuff like that. They're swallowing dead rats every day. Big lumps labor, of right? coal, mm. perhaps. You know, and, and absolutely, you know, and if they could, you know, come to some sort of deal with National where they, you know, keep having big influence in the environmental sector, if National agreed, you know, not to go so hard on, on you know, on beneficiaries, on, on, you know, on sanctions, on things like that, well, why not? And, you know, keep the climate change portfolio, for example. You know, that, that's one of the options that you could do. I just think that you also force Labor to fight for you. So instead of saying, oh, well, we'll only work with Labor, you force Labor to say, oh, well, we want you to be on our side, so we will give you this, We're this, not going to take you for granted, No, right? we're going to, yeah. And, and, you know, when playing hard to get a little bit. I mean, I know that that doesn't, 
on the flip side of that, we've seen um, with the Māori Party when Te Pāti Māori went into um, a deal with National that really damaged them on the other side. So you have to be careful around that. Um, but I just think if you are strategic and open and honest with your um, support base, I think you can sell it to them and saying we get this, this and this. We don't have to sit in opposition doing nothing. But remember that support base just uh, deselected their co-leader James Shaw because they don't feel he's doing, um, you know, well enough working as a minister alongside Labor. I can't imagine they'd be um, no too impressed. That's with why I told them to nation. lift up their eyes. But, yes, <laughs> um, that w- was that diplomatic. I thought. Hmm. Now, on to our last poll supplementary question. Benedict, take it away. Yeah, so this was interesting. We asked the public what they thought about the National Party's plan to cut that top tax rate that came in of um, last year of 39 cents on every dollar that people earn over $180,000. So my understanding is it's around 2% of um, New Zealanders earn over 180k. Um, National wants to get rid of that top tax rate. So we went and we asked the public, we explained what National's policy was, getting rid of the top 39% tax rate, and um, asked the public, look, do you think people who earn over 180k deserve a tax cut or should be paying less tax? Uh, 65% of people um, felt that, no, um, that top tax rate was fine and people paying earning over 180k could afford to pay that 39 cents in the dollar. Um, 25% pe- of people thought, no, there should be that, um, uh, they should get rid of that top tax rate. But the fascinating thing I thought was almost half, 49% of National's own supporters in that poll told us that they don't agree with that policy. Now, we interviewed um, uh, Christopher uh, Luxon for this, um, and it didn't matter what sort of question we asked, he pretty much responded every single time with Labour is the party of high taxes and National is the party of low taxes, um, was his answer to just about every question. He did say, though, that they believed if we brought in this top, um, uh, if you cut that top tax rate, then it would attract, um, I think he said engineers and surgeons and, and doctors to New Zealand for, to fill skill shortages. And, it, you know, but just keep coming back to that point, that they're the party of low taxes, and they'd rather um, that Kiwis had more of their own money in their own pocket so they could spend it themselves so rather than giving it to the government. You said 2% of people earn 180000 or above. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, so I guess that's what it comes it comes down to, and even for National Party supporters, there's not a huge amount of people who earn that much money. And so it's a slightly... I always think tax is a really interesting thing to ask people about because if you asked people about it on camera, I feel like you'd get a different response than if you asked people about it in a survey that's anonymous. I do think that we tend to be less self-interested um, when we're looking at that, when we when we when when it's our face and our name on it. But I do think that in those situations, if it doesn't affect you and it doesn't help you... Well, then, then you might just be like, no. Yeah, I don't. Well, it was interesting because we went out onto um, out onto the Wellingtons um, by Oriental Bay around the um, waterfront in the harbour there, and we, and we did vox members of the public, um, and quite a few people, sixty percent of the people we stopped were sort of like, hey, no way, you, you know, um, why don't you give a tax cut to people at the bottom, you know, not not the people at the top, it's people at the bottom who need more money in their in the, in, the, in the pocket. But there was one guy we were chatting to who said, oh look. I do feel that people earning over that 180k, often they'll be running a, they might be running a business or whatever. They might be able to put that back into their business, into creating more jobs or growing their company. You know, you know. And I thought, well, that's a, you know, a fair enough um, argument too. And uh, arguably, if you're earning that number, you um, are, are a successful person 
anyway and are, and are spending, you know, locally and, and all of that kind of stuff too. So I don't know. It's I don't, I don't really buy this whole argument that um, it'll attract more overseas skilled workers to come here. I think the reason they'd come here is for the lifestyle more yeah. than the sort of, you know, extra um, tax that they'd save after, you know, their, their pay's docked, well, I think. Not for the cheap housing that they're coming here. And you, they know. Might, you know, and they might quite like to, um, you know, contribute to the, the new country that they've just moved to as well. Mm. You know, make mm. it a better place for everyone. Who knows? Anyway, guys, I think that's a nice place to leave it. This was One News Inside Parliament, our weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering this week. You can find us around this time each week online and we're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all your favourite podcasting apps, including Spotify. Spotify.